Well, uh, welcome to the Free Speech Union podcast. My name is Patrick Korsh, and uh, today I'm joined by Toby Young, um, the founder of the Free Speech Union in the UK, uh, the organization that has inspired us down under to open our own free speech union. Toby is a, um, a British social commentator and the London Associate Editor of Quillette. He has written for The Times, The Sun, The Daily Telegraph, and The Spectator. Uh, welcome to the podcast, Toby. Thank you, Patrick. I just wanted to know, it, our, our listeners are, w- would have been aware of our, um, our previous organization, the Free Speech Coalition, that we've reopened as a, as, a, as a trade union inspired by your organization. Um, we, we, I know that our listeners want to know, what is the Free Speech Union in, in the UK? How, you know, what do you do and um, why did you start? Well, um, we describe it as a non-partisan mass membership public interest body mm. that stands up for the speech rights of its members and campaigns for free speech more widely. Um, it was set up in February of last year um, uh, And since then, we've got about uh, 8,000 members, um, a staff of about 12. Uh, We've all been working remotely. We still don't have an office uh, because of the pandemic. Um, But um, uh, I'd say we we actually looked at how many individual cases we've actively um, uh, intervened in um, to support members who've contacted us who are in trouble for something they've said. Um, And uh, it's about um, 500, slightly more than 500. And about 100 of them are either students or academics. So about a fifth of the people uh, who reach out to us for help um, are at universities, uh, colleges of further education, and the rest are just um, ordinary people um, across a range of professions. I'd say... um, uh, probably um, uh, they tilt towards um, people in the art sector, uh, people in the charity sector, and people in the public sector, but certainly not exclusively. We've, we've helped a few people um, at some of the um, uh, big accountancy firms, some big financial services companies, um, uh, but then we've also helped bus drivers, firemen. Um, so quite a range of people. Um, I think uh, one thing that's become clear to me over the past uh, uh, 14 months or so is that everyone's free speech is under attack. It isn't just particular sectors, although it's worse in particular sectors. It's everyone. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. How did we get here? I, I, I'm slightly younger than you. I, I grew up in a post-fall um, of the Soviet Union. I, I haven't you know, lived in a society where we had any mass existential threats from, from abroad. And I, I can only think that, you know, in that time of peace that we've turned against, you know, turned towards ourselves, trying to, you know, look for harm elsewhere. It, how, how did we become, you know, so self-policing where, you know, things that we say, um, opinion, opinions that you know someone must might hold or is now seen to be harmful to the point of banning it. Yeah, this this actually this question came up earlier today. I was having an email exchange um, with a professor at Oxford hmm. um, who drew my attention to 
um, a tweet from a teacher at an elite New York private school. And in this tweet, the teacher said that the entire teaching staff lived in terror of um, falling afoul of um, the uh, children in their classes, particularly the girls, who would scream about feeling unsafe um, uh, or uh, traumatised if the teachers departed in any way from woke orthodoxy. Um, And um, uh, as this professor pointed out, it was um, uh, reminiscent of the fear people were living in during uh, the Khmer Rouge um, era in Cambodia, as well as during the Chinese Cultural Revolution and indeed um, at the height of Stalin's terror. It was the fear of being denounced by children. Um, and, um, And he said, but why are, the professor asked me, why are these teachers so terrified of being denounced by these children, mm-hmm. given that, uh, and, and I said, well, it it, it must be because um, they can be denounced as heretics on social media, and that can have career destroying consequences. Um, and he said, but why? Because most people, you know, don't share the um, woke dogma that uh, is being enforced by these predominantly female students at this elite private school. And I think there you get into kind of some interesting psychological questions. I think it's uh, a degree of psych- of, of, of what's called preference falsification is going on, just as it went on um, in um, Eastern European countries and the Soviet Union during the communist era, in which lots of people pretend to believe in particular values when actually they don't because they don't realize just how few people actually don't believe in those values there's a kind of need to perform um uh, obeisance to a particular creed in public which uh, for our purposes means on social media um uh, and everyone feels uh, obliged to um sort of go through this ritual of obeisance to this new dominant orthodoxy, even though only a small minority of people believe in it. Um, How has that happened? I think it's partly um, one of the unintended consequences of um, uh, the growth of social media. Mm -hmm. I think it's partly because other sources of moral authority um, uh, are in retreat, particularly um, Christianity, uh, but not just Christianity, liberalism as well, uh, even humanism. Um, uh, I think it's partly um, that politics has become more polarised, um, nastier. Um, uh, and, you know, uh, even though I think um, uh, most of the attacks on free speech come from the left, they also come from the right. Um, uh, probably about 10% of the people uh, we go to bat for at the Free Speech Union are people who are being attacked by people on the right, mm-hmm. 90% people being attacked by people on the left. Um, uh, so I think it's a, a combination of those things. Um, uh, and um, I think, I think you know, it, it, you can't avoid talking about the rise of the woke cult as, you know, one of the main factors in the erosion of free speech. Um, and um, uh, I think, I think it, 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 one interesting question is, why has the woke cult um, uh, got much more purchase in Anglosphere countries than outside the Anglosphere? So Britain, New Zealand, Australia, Canada, 
the United States and South Africa, broadly right. speaking. Um, and I think that has something to do with the Protestant uh, tradition in those countries. Um, uh, the fact that Henry VIII broke with Rome and um, uh, a lot of a lot of uh, the um, woke cult manifests as a sort of uh, religious movement. It's been referred to as the Great Awakening. Yeah. Um, and it seems to be a kind of manifestation of um, a kind of uh, post-Protestant tradition. It, it, it incorporates a lot of the uglier aspects of uh, nonconformism, mm. uh, Puritanism, uh, denouncing heretics, uh, uh, excommunicating people who are perceived to be outside the fold or unorthodox or heretical in some way. Um, but it doesn't, it hasn't, it hasn't kind of um, uh, uh, remembered to incorporate any of the good bits of that tradition, such as the ability to forgive, distinguishing between the sin and the sinner, creating a kind of gateway through which someone who um, has sinned can be rehabilitated. Um, uh, but I think, I think, uh, I think it, ha- it it seems to be a kind of uh, a manifestation of a kind of post-Christian culture um, in um, in Anglosphere countries. Mm-hmm. And what, what's what's the um, hate speech, free speech legislation like in the U, uh, in the UK at the moment? Well, there's conversations going around in New Zealand about introduction of hate speech, specific hate speech laws, or um, or, or making you know uh, 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 prohibited speech laws more robust. Um, I'm just wondering uh, it, it, what what's the scheme like in in the UK, and, and is there anything that we can use as a warning here and say? We shouldn't go down this path. How how bad is it? Well, um, it's pretty bad, um, but it varies according to which bit, which nation uh, in the UK you're in. Um, Like New Zealand, um, we have across the UK experienced the same moral panic about hate speech leading to violence against uh, minorities. Um, And... um, uh, it's worse in Scotland. So Scotland recently passed a hate crime act, um, which criminalised uh, various forms of speech, um, uh, uh, stirring up hatred against uh, a small number of groups with protected characteristics uh, is illegal in the United Kingdom. But uh, one of the things that the Scottish Hate Crime Act has done is to significantly enlarge the number of uh, protected characteristics. So increasing the number, uh, increasing the scope of the stirring up offence. So you can now be prosecuted in Scotland, for instance, for stirring up hatred against uh, transgendered people. Mm -hmm. Um, uh, And this hasn't been tested yet, but the worry on the part of gender critical feminists is that if they defend uh, women's only spaces, object to trans women participating in women's sports or being able to access women's refuges Mm -hmm. or dispute that trans women are women, um, they could be prosecuted now under this new Scottish Hate Crime Act for stirring up hatred against transgendered people. In addition, there was... Uh, a dwelling exemption under the 1986 Public Order Act, which created the stirring up offences, mm-hmm. whereby you couldn't be prosecuted for stirring up hatred against members of these protected groups in the privacy of your own home. That was called the dwelling exemption. Mm-hmm. So Scotland has scrapped 
the dwelling exemption. So now, for instance, if you uh, at the dinner table uh, said to your wife or daughter uh, that you don't think trans women are women, um, you could be prosecuted for stirring up hatred against transgendered people and indeed denounced by your children. Um, So it's introduced uh, 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 an unattractive Stalinist dimension now to the enforcement of um, uh, hate crime laws in Scotland. There were various other things as well. Under the 1986 Public Order Act, uh, in order to be successfully prosecuted for stirring up hatred, uh, it was necessary to show intent apart from when it came to stirring up hatred against uh, people um, uh, uh, on the grounds of race. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, they've, they've extended that. So they've um, uh, lowered the prosecution threshold. So it's not as necessary as it was to show intent. If your words have the effect yeah. of stirring up hatred against a protected group, whether you intended them to have that effect or not, you can still be prosecuted. And incidentally, the maximum penalty, if you're found guilty, is seven years in jail. Now, that's Scotland. And I think as a result of that act having been passed, it was passed earlier this year, um, Scotland now has fewer speech protections than any other country in Europe, including Hungary. Um, uh, But there are similar proposals um, uh, in Northern Ireland uh, and in England and Wales. Um, And one of the things the Free Speech Union is going to be doing is campaigning against uh, similar laws, and they are very similar, being passed in Northern Ireland and England and Wales. It seems extraordinary uh, that in England and Wales, um, uh, there could be a threat of a very similar uh, act being passed, uh, given that we have a Conservative government led by Boris Johnson with an 80-seat majority. I mean, under the Scottish Hate Crime Act, I imagine Boris Johnson could have been prosecuted numerous times for some of the things he's said over the years. But nonetheless, um, even in spite of the fact that we do have a Conservative majority government, I still think the risk of a very similar Act being passed in England and Wales is um, is is quite high. So one one of the things we're going to be doing is campaigning against those proposals as energetically and as effectively as we can over the next eighteen months, two years. Mm. And so, what sort of support do you give um, um, members of, of your union uh, who, who come to you saying that I, I've I've been the the victim of um, uh, the, of the woke? You know, I, I'm being censored. I'm being threatened. I feel scared that I can't speak my mind. What sort of um, mechanisms or, or practices do you have in place to offer a support network for them, but also try trying to look for a way forward, um, uh, in, insulating them in order for them to you know speak speak their mind, exchange ideas, and um, and, and, and just to uh, broaden the free speech conversation in general. Well, we have a number of um, number of uh, tools uh, in our toolbox. Um, uh, one of the things I think that uh, we do probably most often is that um, we write to um, uh, institutions that um, are investigating our members for something they've said. Uh, that someone else has complained about. Um, And we point out um, that uh, what they've said isn't unlawful. Um, uh, And we, if there are um, free speech policies, if it's a university, for instance, we'll draw the vice chancellor's attention to those free speech policies. Mm. Uh, We'll point out that there are various protections, not only in domestic UK law, um, but also in international law the um, uh, European Convention on Human Rights. Um, And uh, sometimes that can be effective. You know, we'll we'll write, we'll point out 
um, uh, that what this what this person said is legally protected and protected by the policies, if there are policies in the institution in question protecting free speech. And often that's enough. Uh, the investigators will back off uh, and they'll exonerate the person. Most of the time, um, the uh, people who we defend um, are either exonerated or suffer a very mild punishment. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, and um, but it's 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 the process which is the punishment. Um, It's not what happens at the end of that process. It's being put through what is often a very traumatic uh, quasi-judicial investigation um, uh, that that, that is in itself the punishment. Um, And uh, I think we try and make that process less punishing uh, by being there to hold the person's hand, by being in their corner. We also have um, a psychological counsellor on our books. Sometimes we put our members in touch with him uh, so they can talk to someone about what they're going through. I mean, it is surprisingly traumatic uh, to be um, uh, put through a process like this, particularly um, if some of it is happening publicly with people denouncing you on Twitter and Facebook and protesters outside your workplace. That can be extremely traumatic. Um, I don't think people realise how traumatic that is until it happens to them. Mm. And so being able to offer some psychological support, uh, I think, is very important in those circumstances. Sometimes we um, uh, engage um, lawyers to help people um, in the more serious cases. Um, So uh, we have a legal advisory council um, and some of the lawyers on that body are prepared to act pro bono for our members. We also have um, a, an employment barrister on retainer. Um, sometimes uh, he's deployed to try and defend people. Um, uh, sometimes we um, uh, circulate open letters, particularly if an open letter uh, denouncing the person in question is currently being circulated, will uh, circulate another open letter um, uh, pointing out that um, they were perfectly within their rights to say what they said and actually what they said wasn't at all inflammatory, uh, wasn't hate speech, it was just something that some people disagree with. Um, uh, and that can be quite effective. Sometimes we'll start petitions. I'll give you an example of where a petition was effective. Mm-hmm. So a guy called Nick Buckley, um, who started and ran a charity in Manchester that worked with young homeless people, he wrote a blog post which uh, was published on LinkedIn at the height of the Black Lives Matter protests, um, in which he took issue with some of the uh, more extreme positions that Black Lives Matter was taking, such as defunding the police, dismantling capitalism and so forth. And he also said that he thought racialising um, uh, uh, young people would be divisive. And he'd seen the um, fallout from this uh, amongst young people in Manchester with whom he's been working mm-hmm. for 10 years or so. Um, and uh, as a result of his writing that blog post, someone started a petition denouncing him, saying he wasn't a fit person to run this charity working with young people. And incredibly, the trustees of that charity uh, sacked him, even though he'd appointed those trustees and he'd founded the charity and he'd been given an OBE for the work he'd done with young people the previous year. Um, and uh, he contacted us and um, we said, OK, we, we will do what we can to help. Um, we found him a pro bono charity lawyer who wrote to the trustees, pointing out that they hadn't followed their own procedures when they'd sacked him. And we also started a petition which defended him 
Um, uh, and that got at least 10 times more signatures than the petition denouncing him. I think the one denouncing him got something like um, um, uh, 1,300 signatures. Ours got over 13,000. Uh, eventually, the charity uh, trustees resigned one by one. Um, uh, they were replaced by uh, more sympathetic trustees, and they reappointed Nick as uh, the head of the charity. So that was uh, that was a great outcome. Um, and he's actually now today, in fact, um, uh, probably not today by the time people are watching this, but uh, today is Thursday and there are local elections taking place today in the United Kingdom. And um, Nick Buckley is running for mayor uh, in Manchester, <laughs> um, his home city. I don't know. I don't suppose he'll win, um, but um, he wouldn't have been able to do that, I don't think, without right. uh, the initial support of the Free Speech Union. Oh, what a wonderful success story. Well, that's that's fantastic. So there must be some delimiting principle, though. I mean, there's got to be some speech that you've got to go. This is this is too beyond the pale. Either it's because it falls under um, uh, normal exceptions to free speech, uh, like defamation or uh, intimidation, threats of violence, um, things like uh, child pornography, for instance. Um, it, have you ever encountered a case where it was so bad that someone's come to you and, and it was so bad that you go, we, 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 we can't support you in this because what, what you're, what you're saying is, is it's just, it's, it, it's, it's so beyond the pale that is, it's actually damaging not only to, to society, but to us as a, as a, as a credible organization. Well, generally where we draw the line is, um, we don't uh, go to bat for people who've said something unlawful. Mm, yeah. um, so um, even if we think that uh, they should be allowed to say it and it's wrong that it's unlawful, uh, nonetheless, uh, we wouldn't go to we wouldn't come to their defence if what they've said is unlawful. We would campaign to change the law mm -hmm. to make the law more permissive. Mm -hmm. um, but until the law is changed, we wouldn't defend um, what the person said. Um, I think uh, uh, sometimes um, members reach out to us because um, they feel they're being mobbed on Twitter for something they've said, uh, when actually um, uh, they're not really being mobbed. People aren't calling for them to be fired um, uh, or, or kicked out of an organisation. They're just robustly responding to something the person said because they strongly disagree with it. And that's just, you know, democracy in action. And we wouldn't kind of intervene uh, to try and defend them. Um, uh, I think uh, 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 we have a statement of values. And um, in our statement of values, um, we say we will come to your defence, provided what you've said is lawful, and provided that you yourself are not trying to silence others. You're not trying to deny the free speech of others uh, through threats of violence, for instance, um, uh, through trying to intimidate them, through trying to kind of whip up uh, a Twitter mob against something they've said. Um, so provided that uh, you yourself are keeping faith with uh, the principle of free speech and provided what you've said isn't unlawful, uh, then generally speaking, we will come to your defense. Mm -hmm. So I, I know that one of your, um, your statement, your statement of values, uh, says, says that, um, you would expect your members not to engage in ad hominem. Are there any circumstances where you think that ad hominem calling someone, a, a an F wit, for instance, is not merited, but, you know, understandable, yeah, well, I think we, 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 we expect our members to um, uh, conduct themselves um, in a mature, 
grown-up way uh, and not engage you know if they want us to defend something they've said uh, we discourage them from you know being sophomoric from mm-hmm. engaging in playground insults that kind of thing um, uh, but we wouldn't rule out defending them if they get into trouble um, for that kind of behavior mm-hmm. I mean often students who we come to the defense of have said something sophomoric not surprisingly they're students um, and it's not that um, uh, uh, the, the issue um, uh, isn't that they're being punished for having attacked someone um, in a sort of sophomoric way. Mm-hmm. The issue is that the, the punishment is completely disproportionate. So, you know, they're being threatened with expulsion right. from their university institution for engaging in kind of playground banter. Um, and that's why we come to their defense, even though they've said something which, uh, which, which uh, we don't, we don't think is particular, wasn't a particularly great thing to say. Um, uh, but um, uh, I think, uh, I think, uh, you know, us, the difficulty with saying um, we won't defend people who ridicule other people, um, who um, do insult them, um, who deliberately, Uh, say something offensive about them. The difficulty with saying we won't come to the defense of people like that Mm -hmm. is that you're ruling out um, satirists. Yeah. Uh, You're ruling out stand-up comedians. Um, uh, You know, sometimes um, ridicule, um, uh, insults, um, can be a very effective way of kind of prosecuting a particular case. So I don't think those kinds of um, uh, uh, speech shouldn't be defended mm-hmm. um so you, you have to be quite careful if you're going to you know you you want to be able to come to the you know we've got stand-up comics on our advisory council um uh, and um you know we want to be able to defend them if they're banned from playing in a particular venue or if uh, a cancel mob comes for them just as we would you know a professor engaging in a very reasonable evidence-based debate mm-hmm. Well, I know that we're pressed for time. You're a very busy man. Um, I, I wanted to ask, do you have any advice for us? What sort of, um, what sort of you know, high watermarks would you say would mark success for the New Zealand chapter of the Free Speech Union? Uh, what, what should we be looking at? And, um, and are, are there any uh, um, obstacles that, uh, that you've encountered that you could help us uh, navigate around? Um, yeah, well, I... The first thing to say, Patrick, is that I'm absolutely delighted that um, a New Zealand branch um, of of the Free Speech Union, uh, an affiliate, a sister organisation, has sprung up. Um, That is uh, fantastic. And um, it's always been my hope that um, uh, free speech unions would uh, spring up in every country in the Anglosphere. And um, New Zealand uh, is ahead of the curve. Uh, and it's it's great. Um, I think uh, uh, one thing to um, be slightly careful about. I think I, I, I I've already said this to um, some of the people involved in the New Zealand Free Speech Union. Is um, you're going to be asked a lot of difficult questions um, by uh, the media um, when you first come on their radar. Um, and my advice uh, is to be well prepared for those difficult questions. Don't be wrong-footed by them. Um, uh, Anticipate what they're likely to be and have your answers ready. Um, So you don't don't flounder um, on television or on the radio if you can possibly avoid it. Um, I think uh, 
one one tip um, was to try and make sure that the first high profile cases you fight um, are not wildly controversial. Um, you know, uh, if you're defending someone, you know, if you're defending the right of Nazis to march in a Jewish neighborhood, for instance, as the American Civil Liberties Union has done, um, uh, that's going to probably toxify your brand um, if they're the first people you come to the defense of or Holocaust deniers, for instance. Um, If possible, try and make sure that the first high profile case you get involved in is defending someone who said something that the vast majority of people would think was completely inoffensive, completely acceptable, well within the bounds of mainstream public discourse. Um, I think think it's uh, important to... um, uh, put relationships in place with as many lawyers as possible. Uh, the thing I think we found is the most effective thing uh, that the Free Speech Union has been able to do, uh, has been able to call on the expertise, the advice of um, uh, lawyers uh, when it comes to defending some of our more difficult cases. Right. Um, uh, that, that, that's, that's been really the most useful thing uh, we've been able to do. And we now have a chief legal counsel uh, who is our only full-time employee. The rest of us work uh, part-time, yeah. including me. But our chief legal counsel is full-time. Um, so um, uh, make your first appointee if possible, um, a chief legal counsel uh, and try and get as many lawyers as you can to join uh, your advisory council and be willing to go to bat for people um, on a pro bono basis if you possibly can. Mm-hmm. I'd say those, 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 those would be my three big bits of advice, but I'm sure um, uh, the people running the New Zealand Free Speech Union seem extremely canny, extremely experienced, uh, and I'm sure um, uh, won't need much advice from me. And I, I'm, I'm fully confident it'll be very successful. Well, thank you very much for the advice. And um, we look forward to working with you and in tandem with you. And, and hopefully um, we'll, we'll see uh, more international uh, uh, branches of the free speech union crop up across the Anglosphere. Thank you, Patrick. It's been, uh, it's been great talking to you. And um, the best of British to the New Zealand FSU. <laughs> thank you very much. Thanks for listening to the Free Speech Union podcast. If you would like to learn more about us or find out how you can get involved or support, you can head on over to fsu.nz or check us out on Facebook and Twitter. Kakitiano.